Alex, my man. All right, it's been okay. Other than five minutes ago, when you your image flashed upon my screen, <laughs> when when, was, when if we had to work out when was the last time I saw you? It must have been two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, right? Must have been. Um, I feel like it should have been. No, 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 because um, I was just thinking about one of the experiences we had, which was one of my best culinary experiences that I have to say when, when people ask me I've ever had, um, which was uh, in uh, Parma. Oh, God, yeah, you came to Parma. <laughs> yeah, that yes, huge yes, yes. pizza. Was that, that was you, wasn't it? It wasn't. It, it, yes, yes, it was. I think the huge peach pizza, but that wasn't the one that I remembered. There was oh, another okay. one where I just had a beautiful experience. And I think it was with, yeah, it was arms, you and your missus. Mm. Um, and we went to a little, I don't know, bistro cafe outdoors, lots of tables. And literally it was like the start, I think the starter was my favorite thing, which was these giant, these giant pieces of, um, of, of par um, Parmesan cheese um, with acacia honey. Uh, to dip into it, uh, followed by a, a meat platter with these beautiful meats, and then uh, prosecco. Um, but it was that it was that cheese and that honey. I just, I, I you know, I, I having a conversation with someone who's travelled a lot as well. And we were kind of saying, "What's your best? Yeah, what, what's the best food you've tried?" And and, they, and, and I said, "Well, you know, I was, my first thought was like, every country has something incredible." But then if it's like if I had to just go and choose a country, despite having spent very little time there, it'd probably be Italy. Um, so, yeah. So that was the last time, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And, um, yeah, those... Um, I do remember. I remember the restaurant as well. I can't remember what it was called. I remember the guy. He's a, he's a really nice guy as well um, who, who managed it. Um, and, yeah, I, but now that you mentioned that, that huge... It was like, was it a half-metre pizza or something like that? And you you had it without knife and fork and you basically picked up the plate and just let this pizza sort of drip into your mouth as it were and it took you about 45 do you remember this um no i don't remember that well i maybe i've just kind of blocked it out to not give to give, to give a better like representation of myself but thanks for bringing that one up <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're right, and it, but no, it was quite it was an entertaining evening actually because I believe you were challenged into it. Um, okay, and, okay. And so you know, there are mitigating circumstances. So it's not like okay, you left thanks. Palma with this, you know, where everybody saying, "Okay, who was that barbarian?" Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was all good. It was all good. Okay, all right, yeah. good. But, um, but yeah, that would have been the last time I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was worried what? actually when you when you introduced that. You said one of your best culinary experiences. And I thought, one minute, nobody shares, you know, deep culinary experiences with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, because it's just, yeah, not top of my uh, list of skills and so on. But, uh, yeah, cool. I, I think it also relates to expectations as well. Like, uh, you know, we, we were going out for something to eat. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to eat this lovely place. And I mean, it was mm. like, let's go out to eat. And then suddenly, like, mm. yeah. And just the atmosphere, being outside, um, yeah. For someone, um, when you go, I think when you, well, when I went to Italy, that was one thing that just struck me, like spending time outside in cafes and things like that, which is much more of a culture. 
Yeah, and obviously now under these circumstances, it's you know really to be sort of reminisced over and appreciated. You know this, you know being able to share those sort of social evenings outdoors. You know, yeah. in, in and amongst the crowd of strangers, without any concern for, you know, are they too close, and you know why isn't she wearing a mask? That kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah, and and just the the, the healthiness of that. And we're, I guess we're going to talk a bit um, in Bolivia. Uh, uh, Bolivia and, and things, but one of the things that um, is, I think, is so it, it's so healthy is just to be around people. Is just to have you know go to that you know in England it's pubs and things like that, um, and it's just places that bring people together. And you're not necessarily talking to that person, but you're near that you push past you, you, you know you just brush past someone and just that contact and things like that. Um, yeah, that's been massive uh, in terms of what's now changed and what's yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, okay. I think there's quite a bit to, to get into, really, because you know, obviously, we could start from the, the the Corona perspective, but there's 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 more to it because you introduce a slightly different element to it. There is the the the, the psychological factor um, where sort of people miss that physical contact, and mm. um, you know, and and that also stems from you know, the kind of work that you do. So, you know, you've always been very sort of socially, you know, mature, as it were, developed in the way that you, you go about yourself, your behavior, but also professionally, if I'm not mistaken, even in, in yeah. London, you were also involved in uh, social projects, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, can I, uh, I don't know, but so you've made a couple of points. First one, like socially developed, mature, um, like I've, I've tried from a, a young age, uh, like 16, 17, I think 17, I read the seven habits of highly effective people. I won't, I won't say that I kind of like understood everything. It was really interesting. And then 18, 19, I had um, two years of, of life coaching over the phone, by the way, not even over video call, over the phone. I never saw this coach um, really, but incredibly impactful. Um, so on the personal front like um as partly as a result of kind of having a complete rejection of the education system and quitting my exams before the end my a levels and not going to university um partly as, as a result of that i was open to and looking for you know how do i develop i i didn't have that question in the way i've just said it but that was kind of my thing like what do i do how do i develop um if i'm not going through this kind of education path um and so that was on the personal side. On the professional side, um, I and partly on the personal side, my my sister was a massive influence because in she um, she was uh, when she was 28, she was working as a project manager in British Airways, doing you know all very well and uh, you know just getting on with what would be a career. And she had this kind of thing, uh, this kind of change, and she quit her job and she trained as a life coach. And that was in 1999, around that when yeah. I don't know, 2000 around that time and she just started having these incredible experiences um and she, it really interested me and uh, and then she started introducing me to people networks and things like that and and that kind of that was in a very formative period for me because i decided not to go to university um and i've had two years of coaching and started learning about setting goals and things like that and um my basically around the time that i was having the coaching two questions that guided me for in the next few years uh, came up, uh, which was one, what do I want to do with my life? And two, 
sorry, what do I want to do? Yes, uh, as a career, and two, how can I use that to have a positive impact in the world? So those are the kind of two guiding questions. Um, and uh, after deciding not to go to uni, it was like five years of all sorts of jobs, saved up to travel and things like that. And it was there. Um, it was there was a Princess Trust course for people who were unemployed, um, and it encouraged you to have a week of activities, develop music uh, if you had a music interest, and think about your goals and stuff. And I actually remember going on that and thinking, I love what these people are organising. Uh, I would love to have their job. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but I'd love it. Uh, I'd love to have it. And I'd had a few experiences where I've been like, oh, I know, like, I know there's certainly, I, I know I re- if people really interest me. Um, when I was choosing my A-levels, I wanted to, I, I didn't know why, but psychology, sociology, philosophy, th- those things really, uh, they, there was something that was kind of drawing me towards them. I, my dad actually said, uh, don't talk about ologies, you need to do maths, business, and things like that, <laughs> serious subject, um, which is interesting. He's, he's now a real student of philosophy and, 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 and psychology and, and other things, and, you know, that human, human side. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so really from there, I, I, there was like little clues all over the place. I was like, I like working with people. Um, I like, I, I couldn't have put it again at that time, but I love like looking at how, life is in the like kind of systems so i i I, like looking at society and different parts of society as i I kind of felt like i wanted to work with different parts of society i didn't want to be in one place i wanted to work with different parts and things and and then what really kind of kicked it off after those five years was getting a job with young enterprise um and the business education charity giving really innovative business education in schools but the job of the development manager in that area was to work with schools, work with businesses, work with volunteers, work with other non-governmental organizations. So I just loved this kind of, yeah, okay. You can really, there was a lot of kind of um, creative, uh, creative um, license to kind of go, okay, I'm going to do this event. Uh, I need to get these volunteers and, and things like, how can I find, and, and and again, like I didn't understand kind of systems thinking, but when you when you if you look at that job and you go, okay, here's here's Harrow Hillington and Hounslow where I work. How can I um, look at this like a kind of system and then find win wins? It's like oh, okay, uh, like one I remember one thing I did. We we were struggling to find business volunteers for primary school teaching, um, uh, so we had this primary lovely primary school material to teach kind of the ideas around saving and things like that and um we, i had one school primary school which was 720 students so 24 classes so in one day i needed to get 24 volunteers to deliver six hours of content and um what had been done once before was um uh no someone had done some sort of small project around getting six formers along to volunteer and so i went to one of my school contacts secondary school contacts and i said look you've got a hundred people. Oh, no, no, sorry. I said, look, you've got a great sixth form. Um, I'm sure some of these young people would love the chance to deliver innovative content to young people. And I also knew the power of developing young people by giving them responsibility and, and uh, duty of care over young, my, uh, you know, younger people. Incredibly powerful for their development. Um, and so I, I talked to one of my contacts that we always had a really good relationship. And said, well, look, I've got a hundred in my year 
<laughs> and I was like, wow, okay, that's a lot of volunteers. And so in the end, we devised this plan where we'd have uh, two lead teachers. Uh, we had them in pairs anyway, because it's a water sport. We had two lead teachers in one classroom, and we had two support teachers, teaching assistants, I guess you call them nowadays, um, in the same classroom. So in one day, we had 98 uh, students go to one primary school, deliver six hours of content to 720 students. And it, it was one of the best win-wins of, of, of my time in Young Enterprise. And I just loved this idea that if you can, if you can map, if you can create systems and maps, you can see the links and it's much easier to build win-win outcomes. So, um, so in terms of professional formation, I think uh, the idea of kind of systems thinking, very basic, I'm not like, you know, it's not a kind of scholar in systems thinking, but kind of the idea of systems thinking coupled with um, how do you create environments to to um, achieve certain outcomes with people. So that really, really, um, and now, you know, the last, you know, since that time, all, my interest has always been as a, like as a facilitator now, um, how do you create context to, to achieve certain outcomes? And that can be anything from physical things like what music do you have, how do you have chairs, to, um, to how do you model certain values? So, how do you model vulnerability to encourage people to feel okay about going a bit deeper in sessions that you run? Just so yeah, so um, so on the personal level, yeah, um, personal development has got a, a kind of a bit like well, there's certain industries that have got a bad name because, as someone once said, it's a very low bar to, en to entry, but it's a very high bar to to, to be effective. Uh, so everyone can enter, but there's it's very hard to find people that are effective. Um, so th that that has been a massive interest personally and professionally. And then professionally, it's been more and more about how to be, how to create context, powerful context for people to interact and kind of couple that with systems thinking to think about how as a facilitator, I can have the best impact in the area of society that I want to work with or across different areas. Mm. Um, I don't know, that's a, there's a lot there, so I, I, if you want to kind of no, no it's, it's great um and you know the whole point of having conversations with people with different um backgrounds different experiences is um you know other than the obvious exchange um of, of views it's it's informative um in some ways it serves to um reconfirm i guess established ideas and uh thoughts so you know yeah, I remember when I worked with the Armenian community, which you became familiar mm. with in your capacity as uh, as as, a, as an honoured uh, member um, uh, <laughs> of the in team. My capacity is a kind of central, slightly right, as sometimes upfront uh, uh, player. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Bustamian was uh, was was yeah. Bustamanian. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, but I mean, I. Yeah, I you know, I've found the exact same truths that you just explained, which is basically you you essentially get uh, younger people engaged. You get them to um, um, do tasks in a motivated, voluntary fashion by giving them the ability to do things for themselves, make their own decisions, yeah 
take charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, whereas what I the, the reason why I realized this was the case was because when I took charge as a young person, you know, yeah. I that's what I did. I took charge. I organized things. And when older people came and told me to, you know, maybe you should do it a different way. I said, yeah, maybe you should sit down and watch, you know, um, because, you know, if you're a young person, you need to experience that kind of thing for yourself. You don't need some gray haired dude like me to sit on a chair watching you saying, mm, yeah, shaking my head, yeah. wiggling the finger. No, sorry, piss off. You know, yeah. this is my time. I have a lot to learn from older people, of course. But when I'm doing something, let me do it. You know, mm. Mm. I think that's empowering. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, it's like giving, it's like giving young people like agency, uh, allowing them to own a process and things like that. And um, the the thing is, and this is, I guess this is um, talking a bit about how we develop as human beings, but. Um, the, the one of the things one of the most challenging things to be able to create that space for young people is our own beliefs um, it, it's our own beliefs and practices so as adults um, you know I, I'll talk about myself you know I, I'll just give you just a simple example so I I'm over here um, I wanted to replicate some of the leadership programs I've done in in England so I got together with uh, Noelia who's just uh, who's just an amazing kind of uh entrepreneurial social minded getting things done person and um who's got ample work with young people and we put together a program and, uh, and the idea was basically how can we teach leadership emotional development and other elements of human development that kids won't generally be exposed to in their in their formal education that was the that was the, the premise and i remember the uh, the first year um uh, we had a couple of facilitators who would be facilitating groups or the second year, I can't remember. Um, and I realized that my style was quite controlling. Um, and that was because in the back of my head, I was kind of like, oh, I've got loads of experience. I know how this works. And that's one, that's one of the most kind of limiting beliefs. It's like, I know how this works. There's a model for how this works, um, which is ridiculous coming from England where there was a model and that's great and then trying to kind of go well so this is the model in Bolivia that's ridiculous um and because of that I realized that um that the 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 benefit for me was that I had the security of that people were following my way for for my program um so I'd reach my outcomes and things the the cost of that was that they felt constrained by it and um they felt insecure you know they could feel insecure because they're like oh gosh are we doing it alex's way it's, and 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 and, things. and i realized that it, so in the next iteration of the program um i made a conscious decision to step back um and 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 go here's what we need to achieve um here's the session um and i trust you to work with so bring yourself and as like for anyone that's a facilitator um you know and the top best facilitators are people who take the best from from around them and then use that to um, kind of curate or cultivate um an identity based on who they really are inside 
plus those things that they've learned. It's not a copy of another person. So actually for, for a facilitator, when you're to develop, it's like it's cultivating what's inside you and coupling that with the best around you, not just kind of trying to copy. Um, it's like your own identity has to, it's a bit like when um, chefs say, I want to see your, you on a plate. It's, it's, like, it's like, where's you within everything else that you've learned from other people? Um, so I realized that as a leader, um, it wasn't, you know, my beliefs and, and my tendencies were holding others back. And, and, and I think, yeah, and I, I, we, we've got a real culture of blame in our society. And I think it's incredibly, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly unhelpful. So, you know, as well, looking at those people and those controlling uncles and aunts and things like that, um, the, for me, the question is, well, what, what are the beliefs that are driving them? And how flexible are those beliefs? And how can I safely, like in a safe way, challenge those or not and adapt um, and, and but yeah, I couldn't agree with you more that you, you have to, people, you know, young people need that, be given that responsibility, that agency, that trust. And with, along with the acceptance that they will make mistakes and that, you know, if they're, if they're looking to run over a cliff and they're like, and you're like, that's probably a mistake they can probably do without for their, for their development. But 99% of others, uh, other mistakes um, are, are okay the cost benefit is okay the problem is that we we define like the cost of the mistake we estimate is too high um actually we need to be much more accepting and i can speak for myself no i i absolutely agree and um you know i, I made a mental note while, while um while you were talking as well that um i wanted to add uh, this idea that it's okay to fail as in you know it's mm. a part of your natural development so um, yeah. there are companies where i work with I, I i train so you know english language communication and so on mm -hmm. um i mean none of our lessons are limited to that we always go way beyond um, we talk mainly about business yeah. stuff and so on but i mean you know that that's just because i i, yeah, I find um you know disciplining myself to within a very you know limited as it subject matter i just can't do it um yeah. but one of the things that you know has often come up is you get these you know very um uh experienced project managers and then for some reason the project doesn't quite hit all of the targets and what happens they're fired mm. and i think to myself that is the only real failure of that project is firing that project manager because um, that project manager in experiencing that failure has learned mm. and, you know, and, and a, a certain amount of knowledge, which he or she would not have learned had he mm. or she not failed. And by, yeah. by firing that person, another company is going to benefit from mm. that experience and that knowledge mm -hmm. and not you. Mm. Yeah. yeah 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 no I, I yeah i definitely agree um i think it's it's it, i mean it's difficult to you know there'll be i think i think there's there's so much behind that which is like what's this person's ability to learn was this a foreseeable error you know how big was it and, and, and things like how much does it cost us but definitely think that um one of the hardest things to do as a as a leader or a manager is to manage yourself in the moment when people have in inverted commas failed you um and it's like how do you 
how do you treat the person from that? And and for me, that comes back to how do you manage what's going on in your head and in your body at the moment that this thing screwed up? Because very often there are, and I've had this experience of myself uh, where I've been great and, you know, you know, great person, friend, leader and things like that. And then shit hit the fan and, and I've been like, oh, how could this happen? And, 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 and what's going on then is, is me not being conscious of, of allowing my, my beliefs and my emotions in that moment to color what I'm seeing and then responding to those rather than kind of being able to ground myself and say, okay, step back. And how do I want to be in this moment? Because those are the critical moments. That's that you know, I can I can encourage you for a year, and I can talk, tell you how great you are, and and how pleased I am, and how we're getting on so well. But when something goes wrong, if I'm then like if I then switch, it undermines everything else that I've been saying. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is in the your sort of spontaneous and sincere reaction to adversity essentially is what you know other people's perhaps can measure you by um, yeah and you know if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs yeah to use yeah. Uh, you know a famous line um then you know essentially that's an important skill or natural yeah. ability to to harness and i think you know those i think if you said like th th this is the i think this is one of the challenges with anything kind of around personal development or professional development that there are things that we can say, like as a leader, you need to be calm. As a leader, you need to be grounded, and something else. And you know that that information is everywhere. Um, you know, I, you know, I we do workshops and we say, okay, what have you learned today? And, and you know, people come out and it's like, yeah, um, that my communication has got to get this, that, and the other. And it's like, and I sometimes feel like we're talking like on the surface, and it's like, well, that's the outcome. And we're all clear on the outcome. You know, probably a kid of 15 could tell you that a leader needs to be calm and, and communicate and things like that. And it's like, if that's so, if that's what it is, if that's the challenge, why is it so hard? Why is it that leaders that could recite to you the, the leadership principles or whatever, um, then go in and when, 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 when things go wrong, they react, they respond in a completely different way. And, and I think this is where um, kind of, conscious uh, personal development can really help because actually it's recognizing that it's not being it's not just being able to power out those those kind of things as we do at work sometimes in workshops but it's actually to say uh to and this is now uh, for me this touches on kind of things that interest me around mount around men's work it's taking time it's consciously taking time now to explore beliefs explore what emotions are coming up reflect on how I've been and things like that. And, and basically, as, as someone saying that men, men's circles kind of look into your shadow side and the things that you, the aspects you don't like um, about your person or that you don't want to recognize because those, that's, that's the kind of, that's the space which you're coming from when you're in the, when you're in the toughest situations, we go into that shadow space. Mm. And so, and, and you know, and, and, and let me, let me personalize it because when we generalize and we talk, uh, when we generalize, it can be kind of like, uh, yeah, so it can be a bit kind of boring and abstract. So um, let me personalize it. So um, 
you know, my, my, if you like, a, an element of my shadow side in relationships is passive aggression. And I, I, I think I, I think I learned this from one of my parents and this kind of, this kind of um, reaction to conflict and, and things where I step back and, and um, will create stories about why my partner's done this. And rather than kind of communicate that and say, look, I feel this and, and things in a healthy way, uh, keep quiet, um, be cold, um, you know, tone of voice, very distant, uh, body language, very distant, but not overtly aggressive or insulting. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that I've had to work on for years. Um, and I, I'll, I'll just tell you one, um, one more thing, because this is really personal and it was, it's something that maybe 10 years ago I would have really struggled to recognize. But I remember, um, uh, a, you know, a partner I was with a few years ago, um, I remember we were talking about films and um, I said, oh, I really like this film. And she said, um, oh, oh, okay, that's interesting because there's this other film that's like that film, but like much more, much more depth. It's got much more depth. And, you know, she, she like, so I'll tell you my process. My process for that was, oh, she's, she, she sent me, you're not educated. Um, you, you know, you, she sent me that you're, you, you, that's what she sent me. And I just, it just kind of really hit me. Um, mm. And that's partly because um, I've had to work around insecurities around my education because I didn't go to university and things like that. So in the first, in the first 10 years of my career, it was, it was like, oh, you, you don't have this. So it was always, it was always an insecurity that come up and that, that, that came up. And so then 15 years later, um, there's this innocuous, I think this, uh, it, like this, um, this kind of harmless comment. Um, in, in, in fact, in, in fact, if you look at it objectively, it's a friendly comment. It's like she's giving me a recommendation for a better film. Um, fantastic. Um, and I can't tell you, like, the process I went through is sitting at the dinner table and I'm, I'm there and I'm feeling humiliated, feeling kind of like a child and things like that. I go into the room uh, I go into a bedroom and I'm just like, I can't believe, you know, I, and then I start to kind of uh, punish myself for being such a child. And, uh, and I've got all this going on from that comment. And like, I, I kind of give that example in the hope that, that people can recognize that that happens, one, it can be as simple as that, two, and very often it touches on something that's much deeper within us. And if we're not prepared to take time out and consciously look at that, um and go through a process of kind of recognition acceptance and then and then and then thinking about how to move forward then we're gonna get tripped up all over the place and then you know being calm grounded and saying things like that as a leader become meaningless because we're not prepared to actually do the deep work that will enable us to put that into practice mm. uh, yeah Thank you. Again, I don't know that. if that makes sense. Yeah, but, of course uh, it makes sense. Uh, and thanks for sharing the uh, yeah the, the intimate moment. Do you know, I, I do think that um, you know, if we allow our minds to sort of roam, that we will, we should be able to reflect upon, if not an identical, but perhaps a similar experience where you know something somebody has said has touched us deeply, or an event has occurred, um, and perhaps our responses to that occurrence you know were not best 
planned or as it were um yeah um, because we just simply were not mature enough in the moment to deal with all of the information that was you know, coming yeah. through to us. Yeah. Um, I, uh, in another chat that um, I had with uh, you know, a, a girl lady called Tatiana, we were actually talking about um, yeah, in, inequality, so gender inequality, which is where this particular element stemmed from. And uh, w one of the ways um, that uh, she said that she has managed to overcome these kinds of uh, inequality issues in the workplace um, is that she's, you know, she doesn't let you know, other things influence her she she's very determined she you know she she basically owns uh you know owns a situation as it were and she she also referred to emotion so um she's like don't don't hide from emotion if you feel emotional in a certain moment it's okay to express it you know so this idea of um you know in a professional environment you cannot express emotion isn't it's not ubiquitous it's not a universal rule um and that mm -hmm. it's, it's actually okay um mm. i mean do you have you know have you had you know sort of situations where you have actually said to people look let it out let it out yeah yeah um uh, like in a professional context and a personal context yes because as a facilitator um you you know depending on the content that you're working with you know it could you could have a very business level kind of workshop uh, or you could have a very very intense deep thing and 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 there you know the facilitator's got duty of care and things like that um but i um i like th that statement that i disagree with 100 percent is um it is don't push down the emotion there's a there's a great uh, there's a great um, bit in King of the Hill. I don't know if you remember that kind of cartoonish kind of Family Guy series, but more, a bit more, a bit more real. I, 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 um, and anyway, Hank, this middle-aged American um, kind of Midwest type, uh, with his 2.4 children and things. He's, he's with his uh, he's with Lorena, I think, his, his wife, and she's as she say, I'm feeling really deep, uh, intense sadness or something like that she said and he, he says oh don't worry i've got you know I'll, I'll tell you what you do um just breathe it all in and then push it down into <laughs> your into your body and 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 he says how do you feel and she said I think I feel okay, but I've just got this massive pain in my <laughs> and this is basically exemplifying like what we kind of do as a society, which is we we push down emotions because um the you know the 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 values you know society that says do not share, do not express, you know, control your emotions. And um I think that's one of especially with men, but it's not limited to men, is is a massive issue. Now there is a, you know, like you said, it's like there is a, um, it's not a kind of 100% thing. It's like you can't just burst into tears in a business meeting and, and things like that. And I think one word that really helps uh, me with this and make a distinction between um, repression, uh, the extreme of repression, the extreme of just like full expression is channeling. And it's like, can we learn to channel our emotions? So. Um, part of that, um, there's a concept in, 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 in facilitation called state management. And the idea of state management, it relates very much to open emotional intelligence. It's, you know, three-step process. I explain it as a three-step process. It's, um, and, and, and that's taken from books and things like that. It's, it's um, 
notice or um, uh, you know pause and ask yourself what am I feeling right now um, so it's kind of like noticing then it's kind of recognizing where that's coming from so it's where is this coming from and then what do I want to do with that um, and so in you know if, if, if someone has made me angry, it's like, okay, uh, then no, let, let me give you an example. You, you, you say to me, Zach, um, oh, Alex, I just wanted to talk to you because I had this business plan and, and, and I, I created this business over one year and my business partner just screwed me over and he's taken all the money. And, and you're talking to me as a friend, right? Um, and let's say that 10 years ago, I had exactly the same experience and a business partner screwed me over and I haven't processed it. Um, so I've, I hold a lot of anger around that. So what what happens if i don't manage my state and and we've all probably experienced this your friend tells you something like that and you're like no so right get your lawyers on board like i'll help you this that and the other so abstent like on the surface it's like here's alex zach's friend and he's he's 100 percent behind that the problem is is that i'm not responding to you i'm responding to the pent-up anger and frustration that happened 10 years ago. So I'm not even with you, I'm, I'm in my own experience. And that's the problem with not going through this process of recognizing and, and, and channeling emotion. Um, the, the person that burst into tears in a business meeting, you know, that, that's not a healthy way of, of channeling emotion. It doesn't, it's what it is, you know, that what it shows is a lot of pent up emotion, or it's the same as kind of a, a, a couple having an argument over a cup of coffee and how it's made. And the guy just picks up the coffee and slams it against the wall. It's like he's not reacting to that situation. He's reacting to the ten years of failing to express himself in a in a healthy way and having pent up anger, sort of thing. Mm. So I, I think, yeah, I think like there's a coming back to your your friend's comment. I think definitely um, it's. It, 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 we don't recognise us as that. We don't promote recognition of emotions. We don't. There's no way you train for that. You, look, look, if you if you think about uh, like three influences come to mind in terms of how we learn to deal with situations, or maybe four. Um, so the first one is our parents. So whatever kind of issues they have, and this is not to blame parents. Parents, you know, recognizing like every human being, they're doing the best they can with the information they have at that time. But um, that um, good or bad, they they've given us a lot of examples, and many of them aren't healthy ways of processing emotion. Um, then we have school, um, where you have teachers with the same with the same issues in, in it, or the same kind of imperfections and, and modelling and our peers, and then you have the workplace. So none of those contexts are set up to teach us how to deal with our emotions. Um, and then alongside all of that is kind of culture, and um, I mean, uh, you know, from music lyrics to um, to series, to films, you know, I mean, we're taught to be babies. We're taught to be babies and be dependent and, and to, and, uh, you know, it, I, I mean, the, the pinnacle is probably the, the, the Mexican um, uh, soap operas. Uh, just incredible, like, like in, in terms of the extremes of, but what they're doing, they're, they're doing it in an extreme, the drama and everything, but they are more reflective what, culture teaches us um, in terms of just, you know, complete irresponsibleness, uh, complete non, not owning your own emotions, not processing, not doing any work there, just spilling them out in that moment. And, and 
that being a healthy way to be. So, I do. Yeah. I, I think I can, you know, and it's un, unfortunately, perhaps it's a bit judgmental on my part, but I perhaps should count myself lucky that I haven't indulged ever in uh, Mexican daytime soap operas, though <laughs> uh, I, I, I may have seen a couple in passing. Um, but I mean, I mean, these are these are sort of like epic series, which uh, you know have been going on for what thirty, forty years, and they are, just, you know, they're just a, it's like a staple, isn't it, of of life in yeah. many areas. Yeah, and and, and look, uh, look, I I, look, I mention them because they're an extreme, but it's I I I've watched hundreds of hours of other things that even overtly could like seem more intellectual, but have the same kind of messages of mm. non-responsibility you know i love action films and things like that and the, the person that, that that's that's had wrong done to them they don't process anything they just respond and and that's our, and that's our model as men you know mm. it's like we you know just just react to our uh, instincts and and go and and, and destroy everything and but this also reminds me, interestingly, to something that you were saying a bit earlier, and the thought also uh, appeared uh, you know, in my mind, which is that we are very, um, we see, or if we see or recognize a problem or a situation, and then we, we try to build um, a binary solution to those problems. So, you know, yeah. society is built on, you know, good and evil, right and wrong, um yeah. yeah traditionally you've got obviously man and woman and so on um but you know the, the further society develops or at least opens itself to the possibility of development uh, we see that you know these you know traditional binaries don't really exist you know they are there because we've created them in the same way we've created a concept of time to help us to organize ourselves but they're not there yeah. There's no, you know, natural or divine state which says there has to be only two two solutions or two options to a certain issue, um, and it's you know it strikes me as interesting because when you have conflicts and conflict resolution, um, you know, there are normally two arguments. You know, one sort of you know counters the other, um, and neither side is ever really conscious of the possibility that either both are right or both are wrong. Yeah, you know, it's one or the other. Um, yeah. And society pushes us actively towards those kinds of situations. It's still yeah. very binary. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And 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 um, uh, you just made me think. Um, well, I mean, conflict resolution is just—it's a massive area. I'm actually—it's something that I'm more beginner, if you like, um, starting off on my journey around nonviolent communication, conflict resolution, and everything um that i've so far experienced around that um convinces me that everyone should be trained in no non-violent communication um and and things like me not things like mediation but my words like how that would change relationships in business and life and, and kids and things like that um but um your yeah your your thing about kind of right and wrong good or evil uh, just find like this kind of book I think there's a massive area where we could go, which is kind of the polarization of politics and, and, and things across those things. I think there are I think there are better people to comment on that um, than than myself. I, um, I I struggle myself to be honest with you um, with the fact that uh, I. 
there's this you know with coronavirus and with with a lot a lot of other political conflict with con- conspiracy theories and things like that i've really uh, I, I've, I've struggled myself with friends who both um support certain ideas and are against certain ideas and um i've got a lot of work to do there i think basically so i think yeah in terms of, i i think i can recognize what you're saying and probably not the the most the, the best person to kind of I don't know to 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 give a kind of overview of uh, of how this is impacting our world, but it's it's definitely you know through social media and the things we're becoming more and more polarized. And it's I think I think the point that I made is it, it, is that it, it's we're being challenged less and less um, to stay open to yeah, like you said, being both right and wrong at the same time or or. or and accommodating others' views. So um, I think, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, through through social media, through so many things, it's becoming easier to do that and not have a critical thought. Um, and my friend shared something that the World Economic Forum um, said that one of the most important skills coming uh, going forward is the kind of ability to analyze. Um, um, and, you know, that takes, you know, that takes a curiosity that comes from um, being able to calm the belief that that, that that we're definitely right about something and, and being okay in that security. So I think there's there's a lot of challenges there individually as much as that. Mm. Okay, all right, fine. Um, I, I think when it comes to the business of expressing thoughts, ideas and opinions, you know, even if you know there, there are occasions where we are perhaps not so well informed um an opinion is still an opinion as long as it's given um you know sincerely um and th- there should be no reason why anybody would should feel that their opinion was uh, you know perhaps not um you know relevant perhaps in a, a more universal context and so you know let's mm-hmm. say it like that um but yeah i mean yeah you know everybody should feel you, know, you should feel free to to express a thought um, in yeah, any capacity. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess I, I guess I just, I just wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't want to speak. Yeah, I, I I feel comfortable just recognizing like that I'm not an expert on certain things, and that I, yeah, I, I've got an opinion, but yeah, that's not. It's not. There there are better informed opinions, I think, around certain certain areas. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because what, what, when we talk about polarization, obviously you raised politics as an issue, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pleased in some ways that you that social media has actually provided people with a platform, many platforms, um, upon which they can engage and participate in political discourse. Because so many times I have spoken to people of any age group or of any you know sort of social category, um, and the response has been, oh, I'm not really interested in politics. Uh, politics is not really my thing. Um, you know, the fact that social media has allowed people to express themselves in that sense uh, is perhaps a positive. As I said uh, to you before, sort of off camera, as it were, or off mic, um, you know, I've withdrawn essentially from social media because of the level of hatred 
um, that is expressed therein. I, I think people should be uh, far more circumspect with the, the the way in which they express themselves, um, and uh, you know the, the damage. They should be aware of the damage that they can do with those words. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, this shouldn't only be limited to you know former presidents of the United States. It should also be applicable to any person who voices an opinion in a public forum. Um, you know, I am responsible for the words that I use. And, you know, if I say something which offends somebody, then I, I should be willing to apologize. Even if I still say, no, I, I think what I said was right. But for offending you, for that, I apologize. Yeah, and I, I think we should be able to be mature enough to, to have that level of responsibility. Yeah, I, I mean... It, I, I think in an ideal world we would be, but then I'll go back to, well, what was our training for that? Like, you know, there's, it's like an assumption that we should be able to step into a car and, and be able to drive it. It's like, well, did you have lessons? And um, because I think there's certain things that we, we assume a society are just part of development. So part of, yeah, here's one of them, um, part of becoming an adult is you get better at managing your feelings. It's like, no, you don't. You just get better at covering them up. Um, you know, some people do um, through good examples or personal experience, but I feel like the, by a, a big majority don't. And it's evident in so many interactions, both in, um, in you know, whether it's on TV or within families or networks or, or things like that, breakdowns in communication between governments, um, you know, all, all these kind of things. So I think there's a lot that's take, it's taken, um, it's assumed that we have the ability to do these things when actually, well, actually there was no, we've had no training and really bad models for it. Um, yeah. So, I, so, so, so um, it's like one thing is creating a forum and a, a context and saying, hey, I'm going to create this thing. Here are the kind of ideas behind it. This is how I'd like everyone to behave. The other thing is those those people having the emotional capacity, um, uh, the skills to be able to engage um, on those things. And I think what shows is when you've got open forums and things like that, very often they transcend into, or they, 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 they develop into, like you said, uh, something very um conflictive and, and, and even violent and, and, and things. And I think that's just a reflection of our, uh, yeah, of the fact that we aren't, we, we aren't trained for that kind of interaction and we, we need it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there are so, Alex, there are so many areas that we could spin off to. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, you know I, I, I think um, it would be cool to obviously also have, um, you know, to, to have another opportunity to, to, to sort of uh, meander as it were through some of these topics, but, you know, yeah. I, what, what I'd, I'd essentially really also like to understand is how how things are in Bolivia. How different are they to uh, Europe or the UK with regards to um, managing and organizing itself as a, as a society through Corona? Um, and also tying that into the discussion that we've just been having with regards to managing 
and channeling emotions because you know what corona sort of thrust at us of you know in, on a secondary basis was the the vast increase in domestic abuse and so therefore being able to control um you know these kinds of situations um and you know in some way trying to provide relief to those who need them yeah um yeah gosh um okay how can i do this in a uh, yeah so um, okay i can talk about um first of all kind of practicalities and then uh, and then a few other things so um, i'll just give you a kind of timeline sure. um we um yeah we started hearing about uh coronavirus um uh, you know coming to europe uh, well, i heard a little bit about china but then bolivia heard about you know that this was happening in europe and that's when it became uh, bigger and especially the fact that italy was one of the uh, first um you know it was one of the hardest hit first that really caught people's attention because there's a lot of bolivians that um that reside in italy uh, obviously in spain uh, a place like bergamo and i think bergamo was an epicenter in milan area um and <clears throat> and so actually the initial government response um was was i think was pretty good in the sense that they they i think it was march mid march we had complete lockdown um and what that means because everyone's got different versions of it in different countries was um you were allowed you were allowed out of your homes once a week between 5 in the morning 6 in the morning and 12 midday Six hours to go and do your shopping. Uh, so my day was Tuesday. So I was out once a week. So on Tuesday, I'd literally get up five in the morning, five forty-five. I was kind of leaving to get into the queue for the supermarket, um, and then carrying the bags home. You know, um, and I was with my dad, so obviously I wanted to, be, you know, take all precautions. But it was yeah, that was six or eight weeks, um, mid March, mid May, and then. June we started to relax the the things people could go out a little bit more um there wasn't one day of the week um and by July the the things had spiked um and they got to a high kind of end of July and then they started going down from August until about November I think when they started going up again so with that things were were more and more relaxed i think the i what's well, just come to my mind is Holland right now because they they didn't have as strict a lockdown and now they've got more strict on it and I always thought of the thing of like if I give you uh 20 grand a year for your salary and then I reduce it to 15 you're going to be really angry but if I give you 15 grand of uh, of salary and then I increase it to 20 grand at the end of the year you're going to be over the moon um and I think I, I like when I think of Holland I think wow maybe that's really playing out we our re- reference point for a lockdown was almost the strictest lockdown you can have I think only China was stricter in the sense that they literally couldn't go out Mm-hmm. um now you know uh, okay so that's that happens and now we we haven't gone into lockdown again like so we we got to something where it was like um 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. you can basically go out and things like that um at one point restaurants were open but then they closed up again towards the end of this year um and now um we only have quarantine on on sunday so we've got 5 till 10 and then on sunday it's like you shouldn't go anywhere that's more than 200 meters from your house um people people's response was incredibly 
in the cities, incredibly responsible. People were wearing masks. Um, people were using alcohol everywhere. You go into a place, they spray you with alcohol. They take your temperature, which I think we've now found out is pretty useless. Um, but the, the masks and the alcohol were really, you know, followed and respected. And, and, and I think there was a kind of effect of like you walk down the street and you see everyone else in a mask. You'd feel very uncomfortable if you were not in a mask. Um, so I think people, people did take it seriously. The, the, the result of having three months of lockdown was crushing for um, economically, because as you can imagine, you know, swathes of people that live day to day, literally they, they get this product of uh, selling these things. Um, you know, they've got a hundred of these that they need to sell or something off to get their food for the day. You know, it's literally like that. And obviously, you know, we have a very kind of big market culture. Um, so yes, we've got supermarkets and things like that, but we've got massive like 10 by 10 corner market. And so obviously people started staying away from that. So businesses suffered there. And um, so, and, and I think like the, the, the reaction from people is different in the city and the country. So if you go, if you go into a little, a little village or town or something like that in the jungle, you won't see anyone wearing masks. We just see very few people wearing masks. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's being away from a lot of police authority. I don't know if it's, um, it, uh, or if it's just being away from all, you know, everything that's happening and, and, and things like that. But um, so that was one aspect of it. The other aspect of it was that we have one of the worst health systems in South America. Um, and so this, so the first, the idea was recognizing that very strict lockdown for three months to allow health services to build up and prepare. Um, what happened in July was health service very quickly became overwhelmed. We had a few people, you know, pictures of a few people dying in the streets. It wasn't, I don't think it was as extreme as maybe Ecuador. Again, that could be a, a, a perception, but you know, they were, were overwhelmed for a little bit. Um, hospitals, there were, you know, stories of people that needed to go into the intensive care going six hospitals and the person dying because they couldn't get in. Um, but those were, those, I would, those were anomalies, I think. And, um, and then, um, but yeah, you know, everyone was very conscious that the health system wasn't great. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this in a kind of organized way. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, so, so with this second wave in inverted commas that started no, kind of November, December time, um, every, there's, yes, people are getting infected, but doctors are in a better position to treat people. Uh, they're still not doing it perfectly, but they're in a better position. Um, and people, I think, a little bit more relaxed, not very much, you know, there was hysteria, there still is hysteria. Um, it, and it's amazing, like even from young people in their 30s and so, um, that are more hysterical than their parents and things like that. Um, I think one thing that really helped was that their um, pharmacies in Bolivia, there are pharmacies that have a license to produce products based on natural remedies. So there are many medicinal plants here and things like that. And there are, there are pharmacies that can just literally pull out a product based on a herbal kind of treatment or things like that. That allows things like uh, chlorine dioxide as well to be produced. Now, I, I appreciate that it's a highly, highly controversial, um, um, controversial uh, solution. Um, it's been promoted by by many, many doctors over here um, in South across South America. It's being used, 
Um, I've used it. Um, I've uh, my uh, my pe uh, my dad used it uh, to recover from coronavirus. Um, you know, uh, my girlfriend is a doctor using it with patients um, uh, with incredible results. But I'm I don't want to go too much into it because we could get into it. It's literally a rabbit hole. I appreciate you know papers that I read and respect newspapers reported, you know, calling it bleach and this thing, this, that, and the other. There's a massive controversy over it. Um, and I, uh, I only mention it to kind of give you, uh, you, you've asked me for what's happening over here. It's being used a lot. And, and I've been very close to the results because my, uh, you know, members of my family and um, my, my girlfriend's family who have been treated uh, with it and things like that. But the, the general point here is that there's been license which to very quickly produce and come out with um, alternative uh, alternative products and therapies and things like that. Um, what's been very damaging is that there's, you know, there's a black market. So, you know, people are coming out with all sorts of things. There's been a lot of fear with, um, amongst doctors, you know, they, they're, they're tackling a new virus and they're throwing a lot of medication at it. And, you know, I've got, not first-hand experience of this, but my, again, my girlfriend who's been, who revises patients, what they've been prescribed and things like that. Um, the, the cost, you know, I just read about Mexico, um, families in ruin and the cost of medication and treatment um, with, with things like, um, uh, things like uh, Ivermectina, um, I can't think of the, the English for it, um, but, um, things that are being used across the world that aren't necessarily as effective as they're being promoted, you know, as, as is being promoted, but they cost a hell of a lot of money. And in Bolivia, those can be decisions that that that, that ruin lives. I mean, um, over here, I think around a, a minimum um, stay in a hospital in intensive care is a thousand dollars a day. Um, to give you a perspective, minimum wage is three hundred dollars a month, and a vast, a vast majority of the population you know are working below minimum wage you know informally and things like that um so it literally you know you've got someone that goes into intensive care dies after six days and their families have a crippling bill so um, i'm going into specific detail i it's been a very very mixed experience um i was talking to um alex actually in in beijing um and uh, a few a couple of months ago we were actually saying as as relatively privileged people uh, within uh, within the country, uh, me and me and him, um, that actually our experience has been a lot easier. Um, you talked about domestic abuse and things like that. Uh, you know, I'm living in a in a one bedroom flat with my with my girlfriend. It's very calm. We don't have kids. Um, we you know we uh, you know there's so many things that we have that so many families don't have. Um, that I can, and, and even with that, we've got irritated with each other at times, and you know, whatever. Like everyone's got that story, but yeah. then to imagine those kind of multipliers of kids, of previously unresolved things, of financial things, uh, we're both able to still work, and so I, I think, it, you know, you could say as a country, it's been a different experience to say England, but people are living very similar experiences, both excellent okay and terrible you know um yeah. yeah i don't know if you've got like if you've got specific lead up questions i was trying to give i was trying to cover so many things there 
No, no, no. It's um, not necessarily specific. Um, generally, to to identify how uh, things are handled over there. So, you know, this this concept of only being able to leave uh, in a six-hour window, you know, throughout a week um, is, yeah, very very difficult for me to visualize. You know, so as in Berlin, yeah. we have a lockdown. What was now. your strictest? What was your strictest lockdown? What 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 was the the logistics of the strictest lockdown that you had? Yeah, we haven't really had a very strict lockdown at all throughout the entire problem. As in, you know, from really? now, as in every day I've been able to go out for a run, go and ride my bike, go for a walk, go to the supermarket, anytime, any, you know, any place. When I've been in a public area, I have to wear a mask. I have to maintain a social distance, um, you know, but beyond that, nothing, no restriction at all whatsoever and, and obviously i assume bars were closed and 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 and, and gyms or, or, or i don't know yeah. What, what yeah 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 so bars okay. yes okay. bars gyms um yeah, clubs places restaurants. of places of massive massive gathering yeah okay. yeah yeah these All were right. closed parties were not allowed you weren't only two households could get together at the moment it's not even two households only one person can visit another household yeah yeah, yeah. so the, but, but what i mean is you know limited limited movement of myself my person and my family was never really uh, an issue that we had wow. to wow. encounter okay. yeah um, yeah. So. And 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 so so at the moment you know at, at the moment Europe's being hit very hard by more uh, by by virus um, variants that are more kind of um, uh, transmissible transmissible. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, maybe not. I'll, I'll speak for England, but you know because that's. That's that's what's happening, and it's almost forcing a forcing a heavier lockdown. Um, it, it, it's it's just interesting. I wonder if like the the decision not to lock down so so strongly was the confidence in the health services and their ability to cope with what would you know and the and the treatment and things things that Bolivia couldn't count on. But now I wonder if now with the transmissibility, the weak like the strain that's already been put on the health services. The strain that's been put economically on people who aren't able to work, making them more susceptible, and just you know being in your house for such a long time is now creating the need for a stricter lockdown. I, I, I you know, would you agree with that, or is, did you see that differently? Um, no, I, I think yeah, any additional risk that you sort of throw into the mix naturally lends itself to you know increased uh, restrictions uh, you know if you really right. are serious about solving issues on a societal level um, yeah. what I have found from reading the numbers and reading the articles specific to to Germany at least the areas where there has been a far greater number of infections and in, increases in those numbers has been where people have um, refused to recognize government warnings. So they have right. continued to congregate, they have continued to meet, um, uh, you know, exchange, as it were, the germs, um, because it, it wouldn't happen to them. 
yeah, yeah. Oh, no, but yeah, he's my friend. You know, he's he's all right. I mean, he's never been anywhere. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, people don't wear masks. Um, they don't keep distance, and so therefore the uh, the, the number of cases has has you know, increased uh, exponentially in those areas. Other areas where people are more respectful of these measures, um, the numbers have not necessarily dwindled, um, but they haven't increased at an alarming rate. Yeah, right. and, and this is the, this is the difference. So even if you have a more uh, contagious variant, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the numbers are going to jump because if you isolate then that can very, very, very contagious yeah. variant has nowhere to go, you know, yeah. theoretically yeah. speaking, yeah. at least. Yeah. Uh, again, we're not doctors, um, so, no. uh, you know, I can't, um, you know, comment upon you know, the, the specific science of the issue. But we have had the variant, has, it, has, it is obviously in Germany. Two weeks ago, there was a hospital where they recorded 14 cases of this variant, um, and they just mm. locked down. They isolated the hospital. They closed it down. Nobody yeah. in, nobody out, um, yeah. and that's the only way to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think one thing that comes to mind now is is um, one uh, is possible that we would have considered a stricter lockdown, um, but I think there's a recognition that um, the already fragile economy has been absolutely not obliterated that's but but it's been effect, affected massively um i think i i saw a report that said it will latin america was you know there was progress being made and the next 10 years or more has been wiped out in terms of progress uh, it, in terms of what's been lost as a result of the lockdown um so how just how fragile um people were uh, people were um and things then you know people are still you know, we're coming back to having to make up loan payments and things like that. Or, you know, a lot of um, a, many, um, many uh, Bolivians will take out um, a loan, um, invest in a bit of construction or something like that, or in their business, and then go go towards paying it back. And, and um, often they're quite leveraged with that. And so uh, they're very susceptible to, um, you know, suddenly having their work, their work cut off and, and, and yeah, not being able to make their payments, so uh, it's hard to know. I think they've they they globally they estimated that something like one trillion has been wiped off the the, the economy or um, or earnings. You know, it's just numbers that you can't really process. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think I think there's a real there's there's a real worry for anyone that knows the about the economy in Bolivia that another lockdown like like March could be could be even more destructive um, for the economy and then you know people will die so anyway yeah it, i mean it's it's a really really worrying you know factor and you, you you i'm sure you've read a little bit about some of the um uh, discussions between the european union astrazeneca the uk um you know in the sub oh, yeah, supplication yeah. of the the vaccine and so on um but yeah, I can imagine for countries which are generally perhaps considered poorer, you know, access to these vaccines um, is perhaps limited. Um, is, oh, is, yeah. is, you know, yeah. I, I can only imagine people are looking, you know, from these sort of poorer countries at, at the the developing farce that is the agreements that have taken place with these uh, these companies and thinking, yeah, you, know, you guys don't even know how lucky you are. Um, and... um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I there was. 
it, it, it's weird to read about the AstraZeneca Europe um, UK um, argument because, from what I understand, the uh, AstraZeneca had, had had made these two separate contracts, and, um, and the argument was about whether. AstraZeneca had agreed to supply a certain amount by a certain time to Europe or had agreed to supply to Europe on the basis of their availability after prioritizing the UK. And that's, that's what I understand. And it seems amazing that there's that kind of ambiguity within a contract that would have been so important, but maybe there isn't. We don't, you know, we don't know where we've read the contract. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah. You know, again, I uh, was watching um, a report that was saying that um, uh, wealthier countries will be have a mass vaccination by the end of the, this year. Okay, so that you know, eighty—I I, I don't want to go into percentages, but a majority of people—and um, then other countries will take into next year, and some longer, and some will will never actually fully vaccinate, um, and. Um, and obviously that's that you know that's around the availability of the vaccine and things like that and it's one thing that's been a bit jarring has been you know learning that um yeah, I, I learning about countries like canada securing um uh five vaccines per member of their population so um you know i think i was, I was, I was talking to our partner the other day and i was uh, just we were kind of reflecting a bit and and, and saying that when you you know, we've 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 been on a um, a trajectory of of development and and civilization in, in inverted commas um, as societies. Um, you know, uh, one of the longest periods without a, a, a world a world war, despite what's been happening. And um, it's something like the pandemic has kind of given us an opportunity to see ourselves when when as a as a as a, as a society of the world when chips are down and it's about how are people's responses. And it's, you, you kind of see that, you know, whilst, you know, there are many amazing stories of, you know, higher, higher um, behaviors from, from different, different members of society, as well as a massive kind of drive to grab and to, you know, everyone for themselves, again, dog eat dog. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, uh, this came out of something where, where, you know, very often I hear Bolivian people comment, um, that oh look at how Bolivians are of like you know they're they're cheating each other from this or things like that you know it's not only that it, you know there were the, I hear those comments and I, I'm just like well look at the world look at the world at the moment you know everyone's gone everyone's like that given the correct context the the definition of that person is not that they're Bolivian the definition is that they're human being and it's like any human being will 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 eat their children given they're not there's an exaggeration but you know that uh, will will go it has the potential to go to extremes I, I, um, I remember a book um small is beautiful in the book the german economist uh schumacher said um there's there's nothing as violent as um uh, as as fear in a rich person um and um yeah, well, anyway. Okay, interesting. Um, Alex, I think we could probably spend the next God knows how many hours discussing various topics, but... Um, yeah, wow, well, it's been an hour and 20 minutes. I know, exactly. This is going to be one of the longer um, sessions. So um, 
would it be okay if we can if we revisit a few of the uh, a few of the other number of topics that we've uh, sort of noted down um, on a future occasion? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah possible. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, let's see. We you know, we talked a bit about um, we talked a bit about uh, child. I'm just trying to kind of recap like yeah. the, um, the, how we develop is young people how we develop as adults bit of emotional development, a bit of uh, corona and how it's it's been affecting the two. Was there anything else that we covered? Um, yeah, no, I think that, that that's basically what we've what we have covered. I mean, there are a few other things that I wanted to get more uh, into um, detail with as it more. So we've done a bit of emotional development, but I wanted to go a bit further into that. Maybe we can look at that the next yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Society's making lifestyle easier and harder. That was another thing that you, uh, yeah, you yeah. highlighted. These are areas that I think, you know, we should really look into. Um, yeah, uh, it'd be good. And, and actually, I wanted to, like, you know, one thing that uh, one of my uh, kind of... Um, kind of interest within the work that I do is, is to say um, is to is, is to say how can we take wisdom and 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 um, ideas powerful ideas and things like that and 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 make them accessible for people to put into practice so it's like how do we turn all this into our, our own practices in our lives and that's what really really interests me um, and another thing is so so like we'll we can touch on that with when we touch on things like how society makes it easier to live certain lifestyles and things like that. Um, I think, yeah, I think I'd just mention that. Yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, this is something which also uh, greatly interests me. So I've of often thought about, I've studied politics and a bit of law and a bit of philosophy and I've read about, you know, God knows how many different types of things. And, you know, the main point for me has always been applicability. Yeah. It's great having yeah. all of these theories. Yeah. where can you apply it where yeah. is the benefit yeah, yeah? yeah. and yeah. Um, sometimes you know in political discourse there is no direct form of application there is no practical side yeah. necessarily and that's when i not necessarily lose interest but i say okay let's shut down that valve and then we mm. can turn it back on when you tell me how you want to apply it yeah and then we yeah. can talk yeah. about that uh, yeah so i completely agree with you um i, I see that there's um there's a lot of room for development, obviously, um, and also within our discourse. So I look forward to that. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah, been a pleasure. Yeah. It's been great catching up. I can't believe it's been so long. Uh, but on the other hand, I can believe it. And it's uh, unfortunate. But uh, the next time won't be too long. Yeah, it just it is, it is what it is. And it's lovely to be able to connect after so many years and, and just kind of go into going to chat. And, and um, I think, yeah, I, you know, this... Um, I think this is also, as we all recognize, we've given many opportunities. And one of those is that we're not all so kind of crazy out doing everything all the time. So we're like, oh, actually, maybe we can connect. And, and you know, like we're here Wednesday morning or afternoon. And it's like, it's, it's wonderful to be able to do that. So, yeah, thanks. And, and, and thanks for creating this space. Thank you. Thanks for uh, engaging. And, uh, yeah, good luck. All the best. Yeah, you too. And we'll catch up soon. Definitely. Take care, Al. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bye.